welcome to Church Experience Online. We're so happy you joined us today. As you watch this teaching video, if you have any questions or need help getting connected, please don't hesitate to reach out by phone or email. Also, our website is the best place to go if you would like to access helpful Growth Steps resources, join a serving team, connect in a life group, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially by giving online. At the end of this teaching video, you'll hear one of our Church Experience original worship songs, and we hope that gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned. Thanks again for joining us at Church Experience Online. Probably one of the most common things that you'll hear someone say when you're talking to them is, how you doing? And whether it's the first comment in a longer conversation or a passing phrase, hey, how you doing, right? It's something that you've heard a lot of times before in your life. Unfortunately, it's become such a part of our protocol and our relationships that I would imagine there's a lot of times that question gets asked and the person asking it doesn't really care, <laughs> Not that they have bad intentions, it's just that they're so used to saying that they don't really care how you're doing, they just say it more as an, a way to say hello, like, hey, how you doing? It's so much a part of our language that I think that sometimes you could almost respond in a very drastic way and people wouldn't catch it, right? I mean, someone, hey, hey how you doing? Horrible. Oh, great, me too. Talk to you later. It's like, what you didn't hear I said? Hey, how you doing? My world's falling apart. Awesome. Hey, I hope you have a great day. It's like you didn't even, you didn't care, did you? You were just saying hi. It's a way that, well, well imagine what if somebody said, hey, how you doing? And then another person walked by and didn't say anything, but that person stopped and said, hey, I just wanted to clarify why I didn't ask how you're doing, and that's because I don't care. <laughs> how would you feel? How would you feel? You know, the reality is all of us would, would kind of take that as almost like an, an offense because we want to be cared for. We want to be known. We want to be in a relationship. And that's just one of the ways that we're made is to want to have that human connection, life on life. We're better together. We want to be known. We want to be in a relationship. Now, when someone walks right past you and they don't acknowledge you, we don't take that as they don't care. But unfortunately, there are times in our lives where we're so busy, we're so fast-paced, we're so moving on to the next thing that we can unintentionally give people the impression that we don't care. 
And one of the attributes of being a follower of Jesus, one of the marks of a Christian, is that we care. We genuinely care. We show people that they matter. And it makes a huge difference. Jesus said, they'll know us by our love. And we include others in community, in relationship. We connect the unconnected. We, we pull people into that family of believers and help them see that their lives can actually be better together. And, and you know, one of the themes of this teaching series we've been talking about is how your life, and I want you to think about this, your life is one relationship away from a better life. Think about it. If one of your relationships one of your relationships in your life gets better, your whole life gets better, and their life gets better. If, if God brings in a new relationship to your life, and that better relationship, that new relationship impacts you, that, that makes your life better, and it makes their life better. You're one relationship away from a better life. It might be a marriage that's just been stale, and it gets better. It might be a friendship that's grown distant and reconnects. It might be a new friendship. It, it might be a new companionship. It might be a group of friends that you get connected with and that impacts your life. You know, this is the beauty of being a part of a church. Is that when we get involved in a church, we get connected with other people. Maybe sometimes people we would have never met. And we find that we have this commonality in Jesus Christ. Although we have all these differences, there's something that unites us, and that something is someone. It's, it's Jesus. But you know, a lot of people don't get connected in that community. They don't get involved in a relationship because they have a misunderstanding of what it means to be a part of a church. It's not a, being a part of fundamentally a program. It's not really being a part of an organization. It's being a part of a people, a community. I was shooting around the other day, uh, getting ready to play a game of basketball, and and we were just, just shooting around, just getting ready, just waiting for the game to start. There's a bunch of guys, and many of them don't go to a church. And I love that time, just hanging out and, and playing ball together. And, and one of the guys that was there came up to me, and I played basketball with him before. And he said, hey, he's like, aren't you, are you the pastor guy? He's like, you, you, you're that church, right? He's like, I, I've been there, I've visited your church. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I pastor a church. I told him where we meet and told him a little bit about church experiences. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I, th that's you. And, and he almost immediately, once he made the connection, he turns to his friend that came with him. And he says, hey, man, you got to go to church. <laughs> and he, he's telling his friend, hey, you need to go to church. You, you, need to, you need to be at church. And his friend's like, no, nah, I'm, not, I'm not really into church. He's like, no, I'm telling you, if you went to church, you would love it. You just need to try it out. Just one time, I'm telling you, you would love it. He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not really a church guy. And he's like, no, I'm telling you, you, you would, I know you, you would love it. You need to go to church. And he's doing, I'm like, man, I thought that was my job. It's like to, to reach out to people and invite them to church. And, and, and he's doing it. And I thought, man, that's so exciting. Well, this guy, uh, he made a comment that really hit me. The guy that, that was reluctant to go to church. He's like, I can believe in God and not go to church. And although I believe that's a true statement, and I think a lot of people do that, they believe in God, or at least generically believe that there is a God, I don't believe it's possible to live out all the teachings of Jesus without being a part of his church. Again, not an organization, not a program, but being a part of his people. In fact, when you really place your faith in Jesus, you're a part of his church, but also to be a part of the community of believers. Because there's so much in the Bible about loving one another, serving one another, 
caring for one another, praying for one another. You can't do that without the others. You can't do all the one another's in the Bible without the others. We need each other. We need community. And so my comment to him, I kind of got involved in that conversation with the guys. And I said, I go, hey, I think you're looking at it wrong. I don't view church as this got to. It's a get to. And my belief behind that is that, that God does, of course, command us to be gathering together. I believe it's in Hebrews. He says, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So we're called to be together. And it's all throughout Scripture we're meant to be in community. But he also says we should be in community because of all the good things that come from it. There's, there's so much in, in Scripture and so much in the Bible to tell us about all the benefits that come into our lives. Like the iron that sharpens iron. You know, we're, we're, we're just simply better together. And so I said that we should be in community because community is, is good for us. It's a get to. We get to be in relationship. We get to be in companionship with each other. And life is simply better together. And I hope that, that mantra, that phrase will just kind of roll through your mind this week. You know, better together. I'm better together. Every time you're tempted to isolate yourself. Every time you're tempted to go it alone. I hope you'll remember we're better together. We're meant to be in community. You know, such power in just showing up. And whether it's a worship service or a group or a serving team and just being with God's people, it makes us better. Being around others. It's not perfect, it's messy because we're all imperfect people. But getting connected with other believers, we're better together. In Corinthians, there's a letter that's written to us, the church, it was actually written to a specific church, the church of Corinth, and it was meant for that church in that time and that place, but God inspired this, and so it was also meant for us, his church, and in this book, there's an analogy that's used to illustrate what the church actually is and how important it is, how distinctive it is with its many different parts. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, it tells us that the church is like a body. It says, just as a, a body, though one, has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So it is with Jesus. We unite around this central truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified on a cross, died for our sins, resurrected from the grave, sits enthroned in heaven. One day he's coming back. We believe these core doctrines about Jesus and who he is and we believe his word and, and, his, and his truth, and, and we rally around that. We rally around the name of Jesus. You know, there's a lot of other names that people can rally around, but here it says, we're one in Christ. And that's powerful because if you think about it, all the other names that you can rally around, those names over time will, if, if it's an organization, an institution, a group, a team, a business, even a country, those names will all eventually be dissolved. Think about it. There's no other organized, gathered group of people that will span the test of time. No country, no business, no team, not, no organized group of people will stand the test of time like the church. The church is the only eternal gathering of people. There'll be an end to every organized group on this planet other than the church. It's the most eternal thing. Jesus will come back one day. Time will shift as we know it. Things will be different. Uh, heaven and hell will be before us. And the one thing that will endure through all of that is, is the church, the church of Jesus Christ. 
And we're, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a part of that. But in, in a body, in the same way that a body has different elements to it, there's, there's the hands, there's the feet, there's the eyes, there's the heart. They're all vital and they all serve such a critical role, but they're all different. The heart is very different than the hand. The hand can do things and go places the heart can't. But the heart has attributes that, that keep the body functioning that the hand would not even function without. It's, it's critical. And, and if you think about it, every part of God's body, the church, is indispensable because of the fact that we're better together. So we're better because of you. The church is better because of you. And the more you pour yourself in and you're a part of the community of believers that is the church, the more the church is better because the more it's the way it should be. But unfortunately, differences in our culture, speaking in a broader context, not just the church, but in our world today, our differences tend to divide us. Are you seeing this like I'm seeing this? I mean, it's all over. It's, it's not just on the news. I mean, you see it in your school or in your workplace. You see, it's like people's differences divide them. It might be a political view. It might be the color of someone's skin. It might be their background. It might be their, their, their uh, beliefs. Whatever it is, it's, it's these things that get brought up and they divide and they separate and they pull apart. And we're in this, this culture that's, that's so uh, divisive because of these differences. But what I love about this analogy about the church and what makes the church so beautiful and amazing is that although we all have our own differences and we're very distinct, we come together believing in Jesus and that central belief in God's word and Jesus and who is, that unites us. And this letter was written to the church. And so when you think about the church, it's filled with differences, just like a body has different pieces, but it's one. It says here that it, it says that it's, it's one. The, the, the church is one. Although there's all these different pieces, we're one, we're one, we're united together. That's incredible. And, and our differences should not divide us. Our differences actually make us better. Our uniqueness is not a weakness. Our uniqueness is a strength. And I read something last year that talked about the, the differences and, I, I, and how they sometimes can become a debate. And I, I, I put a lesson this way in your notes, and I'd love for you to write this down. You know, we as, as followers of Jesus, we refuse to make our differences a debate. We refuse to make them a debate. People have differences. There, there's all kinds of differences and, and uniqueness. But in the church, we, we say, you know, when we agree on this one thing of Jesus and the gospel and his truth, then there could be a lot of differences in, you know, backgrounds and, you know, preferences and even political views and all kinds of stuff. But we're not going to let those things be dividers. We're instead going to be united about the thing that we do agree on, and that's Jesus. Our differences can actually make us stronger. You have giftedness that you can bring to the team, to the church, to the community that that other people don't have. You have experiences, you have wisdom, you have things that you've learned that you can bring. I mean, we're better with you. And there's other people that, that can make your life better when you allow them to. You know, people get so frustrated about the differences and the dif differences divide, right? I mean, this is, this is common. I mean, you know, think about it. Like in a relationship, 
people get together, like, they, they, they meet somebody, you know, maybe in a romantic relationship, and they meet somebody that, that's different from them, and, they, and they, they love it. They're like, oh, man, you see things. I didn't even see that. I, I didn't even think about that. I love that, right? And, oh, wow, you, you, you have these different experiences that, that you have in your life that I don't have. And I, I love that. It's, it's, it's very attractive at the beginning. But then what happens a few months in, they get frustrated at each other. And it's like, you know, that whole opposites attract thing proves true. And they're like, why do you think like that? <laughs> Why do you do those things? And all, these, all of a sudden, these, this thing that attracted them turns them against each other, and the difference starts to divide. Why? It's because they're expecting the other people, the other person in this situation, to see things like they do. And if you go around pointing out the flaws and the failures of others and judging others and their differences from you, you'll be very alone. But if you can flip that and start to see the differences in others who think differently than you, who act differently than you, who have different styles and preferences and interests than you, if you can look at them as, wow, that's, that's actually a strength because they view things differently than me. They, 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 they see the world differently. They, they understand it differently. And so that, that's actually a strength. They have different strengths. They have different gifts. They have different abilities. Now because, let me talk to the church because this, is, this letter is actually written to the church. We're not talking here universalism, where just believe whatever you want and you go to heaven. That's not what the Bible clearly says. It says Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What it's not saying is that anything goes in our behavior and, and the way we uh, choose to live, we can just do whatever we want and God will look the other way. That's not what it's saying. It's when it says we're one, that's not what it's saying because it's very clear throughout Scripture, even the Apostle Paul who wrote Corinthians, who wrote this letter to the church, he wrote other letters where he explained and he said these things are sin to, in God's eyes. These are rebelliousness to him and, and displeasing to him. And so there's definitely this inspired and, and, and accurate and truthful way for us to live. And so that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that, that we have distinctiveness in the body of Christ. That you're different than the person sitting next to you, and that's a good thing. But we can agree, we can come to a place of agreement on these beliefs, yet we can still be very different people, and that's okay. And so we refuse to let our differences divide us. We refuse to make them an argument, a debate. Our uniqueness is not a weakness. You know, there's such power in being a part of the church because you, you see people aspiring towards the best of what God created them to be and it draws something out in you. We have a guy in our church named David who uh, comes in early for our, our setup team for the first service and um, I've spent a good amount of time with him in the mornings and got to know him and over the, the Christmas season he was telling about, me about his job. He, he works in theft present, prevention at, at a large business that you would know of. It's a national business. And his job is to literally catch people who steal from their stores. And so he travels around, and his job is to bust people. If they have an employee that they think is stealing stuff, they, they get a camera on them, they get eyes on them, and his job is to come in and bust that person. When, when organized groups came in around the holiday season, and he's telling me these stories about these groups who would plan these coordinated thefts and come in and steal, their job was to catch these people. And they usually would over time. They'd figure out their patterns, and they would, they'd, they would catch them, and... But it was crazy, all the stories that he's told me of all the things that they've encountered and, and seen the deceptive side of people, the, the way that people would be so uh, stealth-like and the way that they would deceive others so that they could take something that wasn't theirs so, for their own gain. And I said to him around Christmas, I said, David, 
How does that impact you constantly seeing the worst of people? I mean, there are people like all of us, but you're seeing the worst side of them constantly. You're, you're constantly seeing the worst in people. And some occupations are like that, law enforcement, things like that. Your job is to actually keep, you know, the peace and all that. So you see, the, you see sometimes the worst. How do you deal with that? And what he said to me I thought was really powerful. He said, well, I, that's true. But I come to church on Sundays, and I get to see the best in people. And I thought, that's so cool. Not that we're a perfect community, not that we're perfect people. That's not true. None of us are perfect. But what he was saying is I'm around people who are aspiring towards something greater. I'm around people who are wanting to make the most of their life, make something better. They're they're wanting to be a part of something bigger than themselves and grow and stretch themselves and become someone that is pleasing to God and to live for him. And and I'm inspired by that. And, and, And when he shared that with me, I just thought that was so powerful because... We are surrounded in our world by so much uh, division and so many problems. But in the church, although we're not without problems, those differences that could otherwise be division, those go away and, and we belong. We're in community. We're in relationship. In fact, it goes much deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. It's a way that we honor people, include people, care about people. If you look back at this letter to the church in Corinthians, jump down to verse 17. It says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the, where, uh, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? And you read this, and if you kind of literally picture what it's saying, it's like, oh, God's got jokes. <laughs> this, this is funny. If the whole body were an eye. So if it was a big cyclops and you picture this big eye, you're right. That would be really awkward if it was just an eye. It, it's, God didn't make our bodies like that. He made us very, very much distinctive in our different parts. And it all works together somehow and it's incredible. And that's exactly how he pieced the church together. You know, but, but we, we tend to want everybody to be just like us. You know, if everybody could just think like me. If everybody just had my my interests and abilities, and we were all, t- there'd be no problems. But the reality is, is that would be a big problem because, you know, let's use the example of marriage again. If a husband and wife thought exactly the same way and they had the exact same strength, then they'd have huge liabilities because there would be blind spots they wouldn't see because they'd only be seeing the world through one perspective. And friends sharpen you. Iron sharpens iron. When you get in community, when you get it around other believers, they make you better. We're all different. We help each other up. We encourage each other. We strengthen each other. We make each other better. We do. We help. We, we uplift. It's one of the, the things that the church does is we lift people up. Jennifer and I, the other night, uh, it's been some time now, went out on a, on a date, and we were walking through a building that had really slick floors. And she was in heels, she was walking right behind me, and she walked in a, such a way on this floor that she lost her footing. And as I'm walking, I hear this loud crash, and I turn around, and Jennifer's on the ground behind me. And she was in the formation of like a, doing the splits. Like she just literally fell unexpectedly on this really slick floor in her heels. And I, I look back and I'm like, Jennifer, you don't got to impress me. I mean, that's, that's amazing. You can do the splits, but you don't got to impress me. I'm already impressed, you know. But no, I, she had to her credit a big smile on her face. She took it in stride and I helped her up. 
And when we walked back by that same spot later that night, I noticed they had the big yellow caution sign, slick floor. I'm like, a little late, but it's good that they put that out. But I was, I was close to her the second time around. I put the arm out. I'm like, okay, I got you this time. And I, and I, and I love, Jennifer doesn't need me. You know, I, I've never seen her. I think that might be the only time I can remember her just strip falling down and like, like that. You know, she doesn't need me to walk around. She, she can open a door, but I, I love to open the door for her. I love to help her when she's carrying something heavy. She can do it, but I love to, hey, can I get that for you? We, we help each other out all the time. It's, well, it's, it's, it's a form of honor. It's honored. She knows it and she loves it when I do that because she knows in my heart what I'm saying is, hey, I'm honoring you. I'm, I'm lifting you up because I love you and I, I cherish our relationship and, and I, I care about you. So I'm honoring you. I think honor is a lost art in our culture to honor another person, to care about them. And this is what we should do really well in the church is that when others are down, we lift them up. When they've fallen, we pick them up. When they're broken, we help them find the healer, Jesus. And, and this is what the church should be great at. It's helping people belong, to be in community, to invite them in. Nobody should sit alone, stand alone, be alone in life. Like we should help people be not alone, to be connected, to, to reach out when you see someone. I mean, in fact, I, I love it if, in worship if someone comes in and they're new and, and they're checking things out. If we're the kind of place that the others would come up to them and say, hey, how you doing? I'm, I'm Brandon. Nice, nice to meet you. How long have you been attending? Oh, it's your first time? That's great. Happy to have you. Why don't you sit with me? Why don't you stand with me? I just, I, I just think that's what it means to be a part of the church is that we're constantly reaching out and including and allowing others to belong. But if you think about it, a lot of people and how we live our lives, we don't do this. We unintentionally turn people away because they don't believe what we believe. You know, if you're in, in your life and someone has a different political view, oh, nah, I'm, not, I'm not talking to them. I'm not talking about that. I mean, that, that just pushing them away because they don't believe the same thing I do, right? They, they don't have the same interests, so they don't think like me. They're different than me. And, and I, I think the thing that separates Christians, Christ followers, is that people can belong before they believe. Now, we know what it means to belong in the sense of being a part of the church, of being a Christ follower, to be a Christian. It's very clear that we confess our sin and we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and we place our faith in his beliefs. And and that's, that's very clear. That's not what we're talking about, though. We're talking about to be included in community, to be in relationship where we welcome and love others. When people walk in, that they don't feel judged, like, oh, that they have to believe a certain way to belong. I mean, what would it look like in your life if people could belong in your life without believing the things that you believe? What if someone thought very differently than you or acted very differently than you, had a very different uh, background than you, different skin color than you, different interests than you, yet yet you still made them feel like they belong in your life and that you love them even if they don't believe what you believe? Would the people around you say that, that they can belong in your life even when they don't agree with you? I mean, it's powerful when we as the church include and reach out and connect other people. But it's not about just us connecting with others. It's also about, and here's the lesson in your notes, love always protects. We, we protect. Not, not only do we connect we protect. We protect others. And, you know, if you turn a page to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's this great definition of love, and there's a statement that grabs me in, in verse 7. It says that love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. It always protects. Part of love is this, this protection. Like we, we care so much that we protect. We think about the other's best interests. We we find ways to protect them, and one of the ways we do that is by being in community, because if you think about the devil, 
what he's trying to do is destroy your life spiritually. In fact, he's trying to ruin you because he's angry at God and he's, he's trying to get at God by getting at what God cares about most. What does God care about most? You. God loves you. He cares about you. And so what the devil's going to do is he's going to try to destroy you. When you're in community, though, you have a group of believers to encourage you, uphold you, protect you, and, and strengthen you, make you better, call out things in you, pray for you when you're down. But the devil, one of his number one strategies is to isolate you, to get you alone so he can deceive you. Because if you don't have any other believers to call on, to be encouraged by, to be community in, in community with, then, then you're vulnerable. And so this lie of, like, well, I don't need the church, I don't need to be other believers, man, that's a lie from the devil, and it can destroy you because you're so vulnerable. And it's like a hot coal in a fire. If you take it out, what happens? It cools off very quickly. But if you keep it in the fire, your passion for the Lord stays hot. When you stay surrounded by others and that, that, that friction of the ironing, sharpening iron, it's not perfect, it can be messy, but it's powerful and it makes you better. It's so, it's so good for us to be in community. And if I, I just want this for you so bad to fight through the, the isolationism that's in our culture. And I do believe it's one of the devil's deceptions too. And, and some people blame it on busyness. I'm so busy. I have a busy career. I have busy school. I have busy work, whatever it is. And I just, I can't, I don't have time for relationships. It's a lie. You can make time. And even if you're busy, to be so busy that you can't be in community is a liability. For wherever you're trying to go in your life, it's going to hold you back from reaching your potential. Because you're created to be together. Your life is better together. The lie of, well, it's just not my personality. I'm not really a people person or whatever the different things are. I'm kind of like keep to myself person. I'm not. You still need to be in relationships. It doesn't have to be with like 100 people. But you need, you need half a dozen or a dozen people in your life that are believers, that you can rely on, that are praying for you, that you can love on, that care for, being connected with. You need believers in your life. But the devil will tell you, oh, no, you don't have time for that. That's not really you. Oh, it's going to be awkward. Maybe it's a past hurt that is going to cause you to want to be isolated. Someone hurt you. Someone let you down. Right? You got close to someone and you got burned. See, God knew all those things would happen. He knew that there would be relationship breakdowns in an imperfect world that has sin in it. Yet he still commanded us to gather together. He still instituted and created his church. And he still said in so many different ways throughout scripture that we were not meant to be alone. That we are better together. So knowing that there would still be issues, it wouldn't be perfect. There is no perfect church. There is no perfect people that you would still be better off to be in community and be with others than to be alone. You're not meant to be alone. I think you and I are in far greater danger of being alone than at any other time in history. Outside of one time, and that was when Adam was first created, and he was alone in the garden, and God knew it, and he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created a woman, and, and they were able to populate the earth, and, and then there was relationships with human to human. But since that time, I don't think that people have ever been as alone in this sense. You can, you can work online now. You don't even have to go to your house to get a job. You can work online. If you have an internet connection, you can go to school online. You don't have to go sit by other people and be around people and, and connect. You could just go to school online. You can work online. You know what? You don't even have to go to the grocery store anymore. You can have your groceries. You can have your food delivered to your front door. 
You don't have to shop. Who needs malls? Who needs stores? You just, have, you just order it up and they'll bring it right to your front door. Entertainment, you don't have to go out, just, just stream it into your house. You can watch it endlessly, all kinds of entertainment. I mean, it can just be brought, right? If you have the internet connection, if you even have a phone, I mean, you, you don't really need that connection, right? And, and that's the lie that you don't need it because you got everything you need. And in an affluent culture like the American current society is, there is so much danger in being alone. I don't need, I don't, I don't need other people. I'm too busy for other people. I'm good. The problem is you're not, you're vulnerable. If I could just help you see that, I think it would be such a gift. That you are not created to be alone, and even though you can function alone, you can't thrive alone. Not meant to be alone. You're meant to be better together, to be in relationship with other, listen, other Christians. If you're a follower of Christ, to live out the mission of Christ, you need the people of God in your life. You need other believers who are committed to the same mission you are, that are following Jesus like you are. That although they're not, they're not perfect either, they can make you better and you'll make them better. You have something to offer that only you could offer. What if the ear said, oh, forget this, I don't need the body, I'm, I'm good. Well, that, that ear's not going to get very far. But think about the body without the sense of hearing. That's what it says. Where, where would the body be without the sense of hearing or the sense of sight? Where would it be without these elements? And so that lesson in your notes, love always protects, is important. We protect each other from vulnerability, from isolation. I think there's a number of different ways we can also protect you know, one of my greatest hopes for our church, being a very new church, you know, talking a lot about what kind of church do we want to be and who are we and, and uh, you know, meeting in a school and we have a few services going now and, and it, we're, we're, we're beginning, we're laying a foundation. What kind of foundation is it? And one of the words that's just come back since before we even launched the church was healthy. We want it to be healthy. That's our, our desire. You've been a part of some groups before in your life maybe it was a place you worked or went to went to school maybe it was the family you grew up in maybe it was another church I don't know but but you've been a part I'm sure of some groups like I have that you can look back and you can say you know what that wasn't very healthy it was cold you know people talked about each other it was people would slander each other they would put people down they would say things behind each other's backs it was just it just was cold it was unhealthy I didn't really want to be there and that's not what the church should be like. The church should be the most attractive place on planet Earth. The place where people come in and they're inspired and they're encouraged. They're welcomed and loved on and believed in and uplifted. And again, it's not perfect. But it's a place where you can belong. And you don't feel like you can belong if you're beaten down. And in the world, we're beaten down constantly. And there's all kinds of attacking and, and fighting, and, and the church should be a place where we come together and we're united. As it says here in Corinthians, the church is one body, one body with many unique, with many unique aspects to it. We're one. And we can protect each other through making it a healthy church, a, a place where people can come in and they're not judged. So they can walk in and not believe what we believe. We're not compromising what we believe and what we teach, but we can love on them even when they don't believe. Another example is, is found in, in James 1.26, another way we protect each other. It says, those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. So for us to say we believe in Jesus, yet not guard our words, it says our faith, our religion, it's worthless. You know, it's so sad when you see this happening. It might be a parent who attacks their child. Right? You always do this. I can't believe this. You're never going to amount to anything. And that kid carries those words throughout their life. That, 
That's unhealthy, and that, that hurts that child. There's a responsibility there to guard your words. In a romantic relationship, can't believe you let me down, and this and that, and it's just all these, these attacking that's going to destroy and ruin the relationship just simply by words. It says in Proverbs that your words have the power of life and death. Life and death. The power to give life and build up or the power to destroy. Gossip is, is something that destroys relationships. When, when you say something to someone else about someone that's not in the room, and, and that's it's a, something that's not positive, that's tearing them down, that's unhealthy, and, and that hurts. And, and unfortunately, that's where a lot of it begins when you see an unhealthy group, whether it's a place you work or go to school or it could be even a church, that it starts to be unhealthy is when that stuff happens. And so we have the responsibility that love always protects. We protect each other. We, we, when we hear about something like that, we, we lovingly and grace and truth, we, we speak into that. We say, hey, this is, this is what I'm seeing. And, and, we, and, and we, we try to bring that change so that it can be healthy. The definition of gossip is to say something about someone that's, that's negative, that's, that, would, that would be slanderous, that would tear them down, or to say something to someone who has no power to change it. And when you're saying something to someone that is not beneficial to the other person, you know, I, th I think in churches it, you see this a lot where maybe it's a group of people together and say, hey, this is a prayer request. If you could just pray for this, right? And, and, and it's something that they shouldn't share, but because they share it in the form of a prayer request, hey, I think this person is struggling with this issue. Let's pray for them. Or, you know, could you pray about this? I saw this the other day, or I know, this, I just, don't tell anybody, I just want it to be, that should be a sign. Okay, that's gossip. That's not healthy. That's not a good thing. If you wouldn't say it to that person in front of them, you shouldn't say it. And have you noticed, I've been around long enough to notice that people use that card. It's almost a get out of jail free card. Oh, I would say, they'll even tell you this. I would say this to them if they were here, <laughs> but they're not, and so they go ahead and say it anyway, and the truth is they probably wouldn't say it, and if they would, it wouldn't be appropriate. It wouldn't be healthy, and so one of the ways we keep relationships healthy is we guard the words that come out of our mouths. We don't gossip. We refuse to. We have the courage to stand up and say something. We protect each other. When someone's saying something, it might be in the context of a one-on-one -on -one relationship or in a group of people. When someone's saying something that you feel like, I think that could border on gossip, that might not be healthy, that might not be slanderous, you're the person that has the courage to speak up and say, you know what? I see where this is going. I don't know. I feel great about that. Why don't, can we change the subject? Or maybe we shouldn't talk about that publicly, you know? And, and you just kind of redirect it for the sake of loving others and protecting others. It's something we all can do. And that's something that leaders do. They speak into that. Love always protects. Love always protects. You know, our, our words really matter. I got invited uh, when I lived in Michigan to a gathering of church leaders. There's a bunch of Christian leaders that were gathered together, and they wanted to entertain us while we were there, and it was for a meeting, and one of the elements of the, of the night is they, they had a comedian there who had been invited by one of the pastors, this young pastor that was a part of this group, maybe two, three hundred people in the room, and this young pastor had been going to a comedy club, and he got to know this guy who didn't believe in Jesus that was a comedian. He invited him to come for the entertainment that night, and I'm pretty sure he gave him a little coaching to say, hey, listen, this is a bunch of church people. These are Christian leaders and pastors and their spouses. So let's keep it appropriate. Let's keep it clean. I'm sure that conversation happened, but you wouldn't know it by the jokes that came out. <laughs> the, 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 the comedian got up in front of this group of two, 300 Christian leaders, and he started telling these jokes, and they, they progressively got more and more inappropriate. 
And at one point, I started seeing people like in front of me, like turn to their spouses, like these, maybe like an elderly woman and her, her husband, you can tell they probably pastored some church, small country church for like 50 years. And you could tell that like just, you could see it on their faces, like this is wrong. You know, like the jokes that were starting to come out, they turned to each other and people were starting to walk out. And you're like, okay, this, this is like gone beyond funny to now this is like inappropriate. And so I think the whole room sensed that, this mismatch of his sense of humor and then the values in the room. So people kind of stopped laughing. Well, what does a comedian do when a, a group of people are not laughing at them? They, they pull out their best jokes. Well, his best jokes were all very inappropriate, way more inappropriate than the last one. So he started talking about things. You wouldn't believe it. It would be shocking. And, and people are not really laughing. In fact, they're turning to each other in disgust, and they're starting to walk out. It's, it's a bad thing. I'm seeing this whole thing unfold, and, and it was actually funny to me, the scenario that this whole thing is going down. So I'm trying not to laugh. Jennifer is like elbowing me, like, Brandon, don't laugh. And, and I'm trying not to, but it's just, the whole thing is funny. And then the, the, the guy who had invited the comedian to come, he, he, he came up, tried to like end it and finish it well. And the whole organizer of the event came up with him. And, and they're trying to save face and, you know, figure this whole thing out. Well, the, the, the young pastor that invited the comedian, I think he was trying to save it or something. So he decided he'd do some jokes. And so, so he started talking and he's like, yeah, you remember that one time your wife talking to the organizer of the whole event? You remember that one time your wife led worship at our church and the air conditioning went out and it was so hot and she was up on stage and she said in the microphone, it's so hot in here, I'm sweating my clothes off. And he's laughing about it, but no one else is laughing. This guy's face is turning red. I'm just dying laughing in the back. I'm like, you couldn't write this. This is just entertaining. And Jennifer's like, stop laughing, Brandon. But I remember from that night the power of words. When our words are mismatched with the context, how damaging they can be, how hurtful they can be, how inappropriate they can be. And your words, think about Proverbs, they have the power of life and death. You can give life to relationships, you can build others up, or you can tear others down and bring hurt. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, it says, so that there should be no division. What's, what's division? It's more than one vision. Division, two visions. Two different visions. So there should be no division. There should be one vision. That vision is Jesus. We're centered on him. He's the focus of our lives. So, so, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. One part suffers, every part suffers with it. One part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Do you rejoice with those who rejoice? When someone tells you something great that happened to them, they got a promotion, they got a raise, something great happened, do you celebrate? Or do you think, oh man, that didn't happen to me. Why always them? Why didn't I get it, you know? Or do you celebrate? You know, we're a body. We should celebrate with each other. What about when one of the parts of the body hurts? When someone's down, do you, do you, and, and you've talked with them, maybe you see them on the weekend, and, and you, do you send them a message later that week, say, hey, how you doing? Are you, are you doing any better things? I'm praying for you, and I really have been praying for you. Anything else I can pray about? Are you the person that steps up and tries to meet a need and care? Man, I see that all throughout this church. There's so much of that compassion, caring for others, we, we lift each other up when we fall down. We pick each other up when we're weak. I think that's the beauty of the church. And here it is in your notes. Here's the lesson. We genuinely care. This is what Jesus modeled. This is who we are. We genuinely care. We care. This is who Jesus was. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The church, we care for each other. And this is why you need to be in community because you need people to care for you. You might not realize it yet because maybe you're not going through a hardship, but you will. 
and you need Christian believers to come along and care for you. You need that. But a lot of people go looking for it when their life is falling apart, but they haven't built those relationships that they need. And so in moments of strength, build around you what you're going to need in moments of weakness. You'll need those relationships. I'm telling you, you will. So you're better together. Find those relationships now. But it's not just about you and I. It's about those who you can care about. And by being in community, you get to care for others. And they need you. You're gifted by God. You have so many experiences and wisdom and resource. You might say, you might be caught up in that whole, we talked about earlier, like the culture we're in and how isolationism is so much easier now than ever before. And you might do that. And you might say, I'm good. Brandon, I really am. I know what you're saying. I need to be in relationships. And, you know, I have a few people that I can call on, but I really am good. But I'm just saying there's people around you that are not. And as a pastor, I talk to them all the time. They need you. You've been gifted by God. You have so much energy and ability and talent and, and, and excitement that you can bring to their life by you just being a part of their life. Think back to all the things you've learned. Might be all the things you've done wrong that you figured out that you did wrong and you wish you could redo. There's someone that's about to make that same decision. If you were in their life, you might be able to prevent it. Think about all the times that you were down and someone lifted you up. You can be that for someone else. See, God knows that we're better together. And the devil knows it too. And so he's trying to keep you away from relationships. But there's such power in showing up. Even when all the powers of hell are trying to keep you away from others. Just believe what God says is true. Don't give up meeting together. Gather together. Be in worship together. Be in relationship together. It'll change your life and it'll change someone else's life as well. One more time, let's look back at this, this scripture and we genuinely care for each other. It says in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. They're indispensable. They're highly valued. You matter. You matter and every person matters. Why? Because every person matters to God. And, and here's the lesson in your notes. Everyone matters. That's the final lesson. Write that down and think about that. Everyone matters. Every person in your life. You matter. You matter to the church. You, you matter to others. And they matter to us because God values every person. Everyone matters. We're, we're today after the service beginning, this new season I'm excited about. It's a new life group season and we're inviting people into community, into relationships. It's one of the ways that we connect and I've heard it dozens of times, people saying, I'm so glad I got connected in a life group, run a serving team because it was a natural and easy way to get to know people and build friendships and I needed that, and I was able to contribute, and I was able to be a part of it. And I'm really excited about the connections, people getting connected um, to each other. Uh, we have a main kind of group that we call a semester uh, life group, and then we have a lot of, a growing number of other kind of groups, uh, a men's group, a women's group, we have a married couples group, uh, we have this uh, a walking group, they're getting a workout group that they're getting started, and just getting people connected in relationships, I think it's so powerful. And uh, whatever kind of group it is, when you're with other believers, it's going to impact your life. So that's our heart. Well, the main kind of group we have, the most of our groups, most people will be in these kind of groups, are semester groups. Um, what it looks like is you show up in someone's living room every other week for about uh, eight different sessions. It goes from now, uh, first week of March here, coming up at, through uh, early June. And you gather together, and there's usually an appetizer. There's usually some food. Um, there's uh, usually an icebreaker question at the beginning and once everyone gets there and gets settled and hey, how's things coming? And after that, the leader will put on a discussion starting engaging biblical teaching for about 20 minutes, this DVD, they'll pop it in, you'll watch it, 
And then they'll ask a half a dozen questions that are centered around that Bible teaching about what you learned and, and how you're growing. And iron sharpens iron. You learn from others' experiences. You relate. You connect. It's a great, it's a great opportunity. And then after that, there's usually a prayer. But they're not going to put you on the spot. We're training our leaders. Don't say, hey, will you pray? Say, hey, would anyone like to pray? Or I'll pray. So they're not going to make you feel uncomfortable and make, make it awkward. They're not going to point at you and say, hey, can you answer this question? And say, hey, what do you guys think about this? And if you'd like to observe and listen to others, great. If you'd like to jump in and participate, that's awesome too. But the whole idea is for you to get connected with others and to learn and grow. Our, our groups go on missions together. They, they go serve in the community together. It's a beautiful thing. So if you would like to get connected, and maybe you're saying, well, what's this semester study all about? We're going to give you a, a book on the way out today called Goliath Must Fall by author Louis Giglio, the pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a great book. And let me just have him share with you briefly what this study is all about, just for a quick minute. Check it out. It's the most timeless underdog story in all of history. David versus Goliath. A shepherd boy that no one believed in, looking up at a nine-foot giant that everyone believed was undefeatable. It's a story we apply to business, to sports, to politics, to a wide assortment of challenges and struggles that each of us face in our lives. And in every version of this story, we want to see ourselves as David. It's easy to think, if I could just be like David, I could fight the giants in my life. The giant of fear, the giant of rejection, the giants of anger and addiction. We all have a giant. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. We are not David. The story of David is not a story about us. It's ultimately a story about Jesus, the one who has slayed not just one giant, but every giant. For all time, for all people, Jesus is the ultimate giant slayer. This is the message at the center of Goliath must fall. There's a remarkable amount of freedom in realizing that Jesus has knocked down your giant for your good and for his glory. And when we begin to live in that freedom, not only will we see that Goliath could fall, we see something even more extraordinary. Goliath must fall. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You're a part of the body and you're meant to be in community. So my hope is that you will get in community. And maybe life groups is where you'll find community. Maybe it's where you'll find some key relationships. And I want to challenge you just to give it a try. You can see what we're going to be studying. It's going to be impacting and a powerful study. We're going to give you this book on the way out today. If you'd like it, just go by the table. It's yours. We have enough for one for each family. And, and you're welcome to take it. You don't have to read this book to be a part of the group. It's just extra if you'd like to go deeper on it. Everything you'll need will be in that group. But this is more for you. And you don't have to be in a group to take a book. If you'd like to have this book and learn and grow, that's awesome. Maybe you want to round up a few friends and get a new group started or get a discussion going on it. This is our gift to you. And I hope that you'll take that today on the way out. We'll have them again next week. And my hope is that today you will consider registering for a group. In fact, if you pull out your church experience app, which you can download if you haven't already done, and if you open up that app, there's a tab that says life groups. And if you scroll down and you click on the life groups tab, you'll, you'll see that it pops up two different tabs on there. It says lead a life group and find a life group. The find a life group section is where you'll find a list of all of our different groups. 
And there's a whole list there that you can discover. We've already had to pull one off that, that was filled up. So these are going to fill up throughout the three services today. And then next Sunday as we're registering people. So don't wait a week or two. Do it now. They start the first week of March, but we're registering these groups. So please get involved. And maybe you say, hey, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to start a group. After the first service uh, this morning, someone was saying, hey, yeah, I think I'd be interested. I mean, if you think about it, this is, this is where Jesus changed the world. You don't need to be a missionary or have a microphone to change the world. Jesus gathered 12 people together for three years, and he poured his life into them. We would call that a life group. He gathered some people. He invested his time into them. They changed the world. And so if you want a ministry, if you want to make a difference with your life, consider leading a group. And if you might not have a space to meet, that's fine. Gather at a Starbucks. Gather at a public place. Gather at a park. But getting together, whether it's once a month, once a week, or like a lot of our groups every other week, they found that to be a great rhythm of community. And you can even click on lead a group. Fill out a form there, and, and we'll get you connected. David, our life groups leader, will help connect you and, and get you in the process of starting a group of your own. But we have a lot of great groups on there that you can click on, you can learn more about, and you can email the leader directly and get connected with the group. And I'd love for you to take that step. I believe it would be powerful in your life. My hope is that you'll take a step so that you can be in community and that you'll find out that your life is better together. Right on. Thanks for joining us at Church Experience Online. Please don't forget to check out the website if you'd like to get more connected, learn more, get your questions answered, or support this movement financially. You're now going to hear a Church Experience Worship Original song, and we hope this gives you an opportunity to worship and reflect on what you learned today. Coming fire.
fighting for me you were drawing us near invited to your kingdom living in your freedom in love you came here